Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pirkei Avos podcast. This is Rabbi Shlomo Kohn, where we live with the ethics of the Torah. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at Rabbi Shlomo Kohn with a K at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. For this week, we begin with chapter six, Mishnah Aleph. And as I mentioned last week, we uh, wished each other Mazel Tov with the completion of the first five chapters of Pirkei Avos. And it's really, everyone should really give themselves a pat on the back because it's a major accomplishment to start something in the beginning and get this far. And especially that the, the first five chapters of Pirkei Avos, that is really the Mishnah. Those are the Mishnayos of Pirkei Avos. The last chapter, as we're going to explain a little bit today, is really a... It's not part of the Mishnah, but rather it's a collection of brysos. A brysa is an unwritten Mishnah that was added on to Tractate Avos, but it's not really part of the actual Mishnah. It's an addendum, it's added on. And one of the, there's different reasons that is, that is given why it was added on um, as an addendum to Pirkei Avos, some of them, one reason is, one reason is, is that it's customary between the weeks between Pesach and Shavuos, the weeks of between Passover and Shavuot, the holiday of Shavuos, that we learn Pirkei Avos, Ethics of the Fathers, on each Shabbos in the afternoon. And each week, we study another chapter. And as it's known, there's seven weeks between Pesach and Shavuos, which culminates on the 50th day is Shavuos. And the six Shabbos, the six Shabbosim that are in between, we study one chapter each week. So that goes the first week, you have the first chapter, second week, second, third, fourth, so on until we get to the fifth. But there's still a week that is missing until we get to Shavuos. So according to some commentaries, and we actually see this custom sourced in the early commentaries of Rav Amron Gaon, in the Siddur of Rav Amron Gaon, that the custom of the, of the, the academies of Bab Babylonia was to learn this added chapter, which is referred to, which was uh, a, a compilation of different brysos. And as I mentioned, a brysa, is an unwritten Mishnah. A Mishnah is a, is a, I guess, the oral, right? We know there's the written Torah and the oral Torah. The written Torah is the five books of Moses, and that's the Torah scroll that we have. And the oral Torah was oral, meaning it's really the explanation to the written Torah. It's like the decoder, because the written Torah as is, um, sometimes could seem that it doesn't make sense, right? One example that's given is the Torah says we should put totafos, we should put totafos between our eyes. What's totafos? Have you ever seen totafos? So through the, through the commentary, through the oral Torah, we know that totafos is referring to tefillin. That's just one example of how the oral Torah is an explanation of to the written Torah. Another other examples is that we know that as Jews, we eat, we only eat meat that's slaughtered appropriately. So, but we don't see the laws 
in the Torah of how it should be done and what is the process. This is all part of the oral Torah, which was given together with the written Torah, but it was passed over orally. And it's and, and, um, from father to son. And um, the reasons why we have a written Torah and an oral Torah, really that could be a class on its own. But if I would synopsize the idea is that if a person, if God would have just given us a written Torah with everything that we needed to know in it, so then... God forbid, it would be a reason not to study the Torah because if everything's just there, we don't have to try to learn it, to understand it, right? And, and the example that I like to use a lot of times is that in a lawyer's office, many times, or in a courtroom, you'll see many, many bookshelves of books, of law, law of law, volumes of law and how often do you think a judge, a lawyer, a person looks into those laws? Maybe every month, every two months. I don't know how often, but it's not something which they're doing on a consistent basis. It's not something that they're, that they're delving themselves into to understand because everything's there. It's just they have to check up the what the law says, what the statute says. So they check it up, take it out, and put it back. But when it comes to the Torah, the Torah is, is something which we, are, we cling to. We study constantly. We are always... Um, looking to increase, to understand, to work on, to become part of us. And in order for that to happen, it has to be something which is constant and it has to be something which is steady and it has to be something that we toil over. So when God gave us the written Torah and oral Torah, he was ensuring this, that the transmission of Torah would include us toiling and working and constantly going at it to, to increase that connection and to keep it strong and to that it shouldn't just be, God forbid, left on a shelf to, to just to look at when we need because it's something which is part of our life. It's part of us. And the, the Mishnah, the reason why we have a Mishnah and we have a Talmud today is that, <clears throat> that the, at a certain point, due to many persecutions of the Jews, the it became necessary, Rabbi Yehuda, um, it became necessary for the Mishnah to be written down. And Rabbeinu HaKadosh, he, he was the leader of the generation at that time. And he, he, he saw that it was in order for the oral Torah to be preserved in its, in its, uh, preserved in, in its entirety. He, he felt it necessary to write down parts of the of the oral Torah, meaning the, the most minimum amount of oral Torah that was necessary. And within that Mishnah, which was written, would be included much more exposition, which people could work off of and expound and give over. So really the first um, part of the oral Torah that was written was the Mishnah. And it was written in a way very cryptic and very basic that, that people would be forced to expound it and learn it and to, to, to delve into it to, to really understand it. And a, a few, you know, time passed and the generations got weaker. And Ravina Ravasi felt it was necessary that the written Torah had to be written down in a more complete, completed format. So therefore, they, they started, they wrote the Talmud. And the Talmud was more of a back and forth of the actual, the, I guess, a more complete version of the written Torah, which is, you know, how, how the Gemara works, the Talmud works, is that we have a Mishnah, and from the Mishnah starts the Gemara. It's, the Gemara is expounded from the Mishnah. 
And um, so basically, so within a Mishnah is could be pages and pages of a Talmud of, of, of a discussion in, in Talmud. So a Brisa many times in in the Gemara and in Mishnah as well, we see a the concept of Brisos. And the Brisa was really an unwritten Mishnah. It was an unwritten Mishnah. And, and the reason why it was unwritten was because a, a Mishnah has to be written in the most concise format. And maybe the, the Brisa was not as, not as um, I guess, pared down. It wasn't written in the most concise way. So therefore, it was not included. But in regards to its standing, in halacha, we, we always, many times, we always go with a brysa, even in the face of a gemara, unless the brysa goes against the structure of the Talmud, um, brysos and the opinions of tanoim, tanoim were the authors of the Mishnah, are given precedence, and we, we, we follow their opinion most of the time. So this, this chapter, which is, a collection of many brisos deals talks about the i guess the the primacy of torah the the beauty of torah and it really fits very well because the last five chapters of perkeavos primarily dealt with character development and refinement midos right a person how how people are how we can break our natural um, tendencies to become better people so now it's very appropriate that once we're getting to the end of ethical and moral behavior and human nature and how we could overcome that, that we've discussed all these things and how we have the ability to conquer, to, to subdue our nature, subdue our, our bad traits, to bring out the good in others, to treat other people well. It's appropriate now at this point, at the end of Perkeavos, to actually talk about Torah and the beauty of it and what it can do for a person, how it can elevate somebody. Um, because as we know, Derek Eretz Kadmala Torah, that and that the, that Derek Eretz, the way of the world is before the Torah. And the commentaries explain that when it says Derek Eretz Kadmala Torah, it's referring to character development. That in order for someone to be a Kli, a receptacle for the words of Torah to go into them, to actually change them, is that they have to be a, a, a receptacle to take it in. And it's that could only happen if a person works on, on himself and works our, on his character development. Because if somebody is just not caring about his, how he acts and he studies Torah, it's much it's not going to have the best effect that it could on a person, you know, as opposed to a situation where someone works on himself and he's, he's bending his nature and he's, work, he's trying to become better. So then when he learns Torah, it's going to have an immediate effect on who he is and it's going to go right into him because that's ultimately what we want. That when we learn Torah and we do mitzvos, we're not just doing it to go through the motions. Maybe sometimes we feel like that, but the, the ultimately we're doing it that we should become better people and become closer to Hashem, that it should become part of us. And that's why it's very appropriate that now at the end of Perkyavos, after we discussed all the different parts of character development, that now 
we should talk about the Torah itself. So let's begin the Mishnah. It's a longer Mishnah. And I hope to bring out tonight a few points which we can grab onto and hopefully apply to our own lives. Like I say, that every Mishnah and every part of Torah, it has the ability that we have the ability to connect to. Sometimes we might think ideas are foreign to us, but if we look well and we have that open eye, every Mishnah, every part of Torah, we can have a connection to as well. So let's begin. The chapter starts with a little introduction. It says, Shanu chachamim belashon ha-mishnah. The sages taught this chapter in the language of the Mishnah. Baruch shabachar bahem u mishnasam Blessed is he who chose them and their teaching. And the Mishnah starts. Mishnah Aleph. Rabbi Meir Aimer. Rabbi Meir says, Kol ha-oisik Whoever studies Torah for its own sake, and we're going to explain what that means. What does it mean, lishma, to study Torah for its own sake? The Mishnah says, merits many things. And we're going to list what a person will merit if they study Torah with this pure intent for its own sake. And furthermore, that the creation of the entire world is worthwhile for his own for is worthwhile for his sake alone. Now, what are the benefits that a person gets from studying Torah? The Mishnah elaborates. Nikra Reya, he's called a beloved friend. Sorry. Nikra Reya Ahov. He's called a beloved friend. Oye Vesa Mokaim. Oye Vesa Brios. He loves Hashem. He loves his creatures. Misameach Asa Mokaim. He makes Hashem happy. Misameach Asa Brios. And he makes his, he gladdens his creatures, meaning Hashem's creatures. The Torah clothes him in humility and fear of God. And it makes him fit to be righteous. Devout, fair, and faithful. It moves him away from sin and draws him near merit. From him, people enjoy counsel and wisdom, understanding and strength. Says, as it said, mine are counsel and wisdom. I am understanding, mine is strength. And the Mishnah continues. The Torah gives him kingship and dominion and analytical judgment. And the secrets of the Torah are revealed to him. He becomes like a steadily strengthening spring. And an unceasing river. He becomes modest. And forgiving. He becomes patient. 
for giving of insult to himself. I mean, he doesn't care if people insult him. He's above that. It says, The Torah makes him great and exalts him above all things. So really, all these are the, the different benefits that a person has who studies Torah Lishma. So, it, it, you know, so on first glance, it might seem very foreign to us. All these, this whole concept of studying Torah for its own sake and all these different spiritual benefits that a person has from studying Torah, Lishma. But there is, like I mentioned before, something for every single person for us to learn from and strive for, for from every Mishnah and from every part of Torah. So the first thing I wanted to talk about from this Mishnah is the concept of lishma, and as I we as I translated earlier, it means doing something for Hashem's sake, not doing something for our own sake. Many times we we learn Torah, we do mitzvos, not because it's the right thing to do. It could be because of social pressures. It could be honor. It could be we want to look good. We want to look righteous. We want people to look up to us. And that's why we do it. That's why we do the good things. Now, we are going to talk about that it's important to do things anyways, even if we're not by this exalted level of doing things just because Hashem said so. We still need to, you know, even if we have, quote unquote, more base intentions, we're still encouraged to do mitzvahs, as, I, as I'm going to explain. But we should we still have to know about this concept of Lishma, right? If we if we want to get to this higher place, we need to know about it. We have to we have to educate ourselves. If we want to have any chance of reaching for the stars and getting there, we have to be educated, right? We have to be educated and, and know, have ideals. So Lishma, according to many opinions. There's actually a few different opinions, which I wanted to say, but I think the first idea is that we're doing something not for ourselves, not for our own benefit, but rather for the sake of Hashem, because Hashem told us to do it. Hashem gave us a commandment to do mitzvot, to learn Torah, and that's why we're doing it. And the analogy that's given a lot of times to help us understand this is by a parent-child relationship. In most situations, if not all, a child has an urge to do for their parents. They'll, they'll do things for their parents and they're not going to get anything back. You know, even if it's a situation, they're not getting any money, they're not getting any honor, they just want their parents' approval. They want their parents to feel good. They want to have that connection with their mother, with their father. And they, the same thing could be said from a parent to child. The parent does things for the children because they love the child. No other reason. They're not getting anything out of it, right? So when it comes to our relationship with Hashem, there is an aspect of it that we should strive for that it comes down to us wanting to do what Hashem told us to do because he's our father. He's like our parent. 
And just like we have this urge to, to do for our, our mother and father without anything in return, without any reward, without any money, without anything, just because they're our mother, our father, so too when it comes to our service of Hashem, our, our service of God, we should have that mindset, or at least we should strive for that ideal. And that's one understanding of what does it mean, Lishma. That when it comes to studying Torah and it comes to doing mitzvos, we shouldn't do it for the honor, for the glory, because it's going to make us a big rabbi, or it's going to make us, people are going to honor us, they're going to look up to us. I'm going to feel good if I do it, right? That's also for ourselves. That's, that could be for ourselves as well. We feel good about it. It's true, we do feel good when we do mitzvos, right? But maybe that's not Lishma. But we should do it because Hashem told us to do it. And I, it's like my parents. I want to do things for my parents. It's like my child. I want to do for my child. Because we love them. And we want to do for them. That's the biggest enjoyment a child could have to do for their parents. One of the biggest. Or a parent for a child. To do for their child. With nothing in return. You know, maybe other people for, for a friend. You might say this could be similarly by a friend. But many times it's hard to say that after a certain point. People have a harder time doing for a friend, right? Unless they're getting something back. But when it comes to this parent-child relationship, it's something which could go on indefinitely that the child just does for the parent. And that should be our outlook as well to, to do things because Hashem said so and because we want that connection. We want, to do what Hashem, we want to do what Hashem tells us to do. And I like to say a lot of times that this is an important mindset to have because as I'm going to explain soon, that it's still important to do mitzvos, even if we're not on this level yet. We still need to do it. And, and this concept, I'm going to say again later, it's called balishma. that if a person does something for other reasons, not those are for other purposes, not for lishma, not for the sake of Hashem, if they, they'll get to that point of lishma eventually, because you keep doing it, you'll train yourself and you'll start being a Lashma person, you do it for Hashem's sake. So we know there is this concept of doing mitzvot, even if it makes us feel good, we want the honor, we want to look good. So the, the idea I like to take out of this sometimes is before I talk about the next point, is that when it comes to mitzvot, many times people get a certain high out of mitzvot, and that's good. You know the reasons behind things, right? That's why we have explanations for mitzvot and, and, and why we do things, when we do things. And it's important. We should learn these things and we should understand what we're doing. It's very important, what we're saying. And when people understand what they're doing, it gives the actions that they perform, the mitzvot, more of a meaning. And that is important. But in the end of the day, regarding all our mitzvot, we have to realize that the reason why we do a mitzvah after all the different explanations and, and reasons is because Hashem told us to do it. And the reason why it's important to have this in our mind, even with our explanations and understandings of why we do certain mitzvahs, is because these explanations and, 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 and reasons are good when we're feeling it when we're, we're in the mood to do a mitzvah, right? So it, it, it makes it easier. But what about the day when we wake up and we're not in the mood to do mitzvahs, right? We all have our days. 
That's just, I just don't want to get up this morning. I don't want to do this thing. So if we have an outlook that we know that Hashem commanded us to do this, and the end of the day, the buck stops here, that you'll be able to push yourself on those bad days that happen once in a while to everybody, that I know it's my responsibility to get up right now and to daven, to learn, to do whatever else I need to do, right? All the different mitzvahs we have, the, the mitzvahs of doing the positive commandments and staying away from the negative commandments. So if I know that this is what my responsibility is, right? So even on the bad days where I'm not feeling it, I'll still do what I'm supposed to be doing because I know that Hashem gave us that commandment, right? Just like a job. Some days I'm sure people wake up, probably most people, if not everybody, says to themselves, I don't want to go to work today. I'm just not in the mood to go to work. It's raining. It's a Monday. I have so much to do. I don't want to go to work. So most people, right, who are normal will say, they'll shake that thought off their mind because they know if I don't go to work, I'm going to lose my job. If I lose my job, I can't pay my bills. If I can't pay my bills, I don't have a place to live. I'm not going to have food. So out of the sheer responsibility they had to themselves and to others, they get themselves out of bed and they go. But if a person just goes with all about feeling, and it's, again, I don't want to take away the importance of having a feeling for mitzvahs and knowing the reasons. It is important, but I'm, I just want to stress that this idea is that it has to be in our mind for those times that we're not feeling it. So if a person doesn't have that fact in his mind that Hashem told us to do all the 630 mitzvahs, so then on a day he doesn't feel like it, I don't feel like it, so I don't need to do the mitzvahs today. But the point is that that's why we have to have and have to remember that all mitzvahs is the fact that Hashem told us to do. And that's really ties into the concept of lishma. Getting to this point, that's lishma. We do things because Hashem said so. And it's, and, I, and it's something that we have the ability to tap into in our own way. And it's something we, we can strive for. Okay. Now, I mentioned before this concept of that if we do something not lishma, not for the sake of God, we'll come to a point where it is, where it will be lishma. Well, it will be for the, the for the, um, for Hashem. And before, there's really a question because this, this statement, comes actually from the Gemara, from the Talmud. And the Talmud states that Rabbi Huda says that a person should always do mitzvot, even if he doesn't have the best intentions, because, because if he does it, even not for the not for the sake of God, it'll come to that point. But it's interesting. There's another Gemara in Psachim, in Tractate Psachim, that says opposite. That it says if a person does mitzvot and learns Torah, not for the sake of God, not Lashma, it's better that he shouldn't have been created. So we have two different Gemaras here. We have a, a Gemara in Tractate Brachos that says, even if a person doesn't have the most perfect intentions, he should still learn. And there's a Gemara, there's a Talmud in Psachim 
that says that if, if a person needs to have the most perfect intentions to study Torah, and if he doesn't have perfect intentions, it's better that he shouldn't have been created. So my question to you tonight is, how do we reconcile these two Gemaras, these two pieces of Talmud? We have a cr- contradiction. You know, this is a Pirkei Avosh here, but we're doing a little taste of Talmud tonight. We have a Gemara in Brachos that says, learn no matter what, even if you don't have the best intentions. And we have a Gemara in Pesachim that says, you must have perfect intentions. So what is it? And I'll make this question more contemporary for us. Should we, should we say, fake it till you make it? Or we should only do, do things that we're really, really feeling or really holding by, right? There's a concept of fake it till you make it, right? That if a person acts a certain way and he does things, he goes through the actions, he'll eventually become that person, right? And we know in business, I've heard this many times from people who who work in the business world that sometimes people will dress a certain way in their profession and they'll be able to get into certain circles that they previously were not able to access because of the way they dress, because of the way they present themselves. And this is really human nature. People judge others by the way they present themselves. So maybe if you fake it enough, meaning you fake yourself out, I don't mean fake others out, you fake yourself out, you hate Sahara, you trick your evil inclination. And you say, I'm, I'm going to live a certain way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do mitzvot, so even if I'm, you know, I'm going to do it. So then you're eventually going to be that certain person. Or the other flip side is maybe I shouldn't do anything till I'm for sure ready and I'm for sure 100% there. I shouldn't fake anything until I'm up to that level. I, all right, don't do that. So the Gemara gives an answer to, this, to, this, to the contradiction we have. And maybe we can get an outlook on this, on this contradiction of fake it till you make it versus being totally, totally as the expression goes, that your innards is like your outsides. Your inside is like your outside. It's a reflection of where you are on the outside. Inside is like outside. So the Gemara, the Toysvis, who's a commentary on the Talmud, brings this question about the two Gemaras. And he answers that it's really not a contradiction because the Gemara in, in Psachim that says a person, it's better he, sh- he shouldn't have been created, is referring to a person who's, who's going to use his Torah knowledge in a, in a um, what's the right word? He's going to use it to contradict others, to fight with others, to maybe to use it as a weapon uh, against, against others. And the, the, the term the Taisus uses, lekanter, to, I guess, chepa is a Yiddish word, to start up with. He's not using it to gain Torah knowledge. He just wants to use it as an arsenal to try to start up with people. But the, the Gemara in which says that a person should always learn, even if it's not for the most perfect intentions, is referring to an individual who, who's learning, but maybe he wants honor. Maybe he wants to be a big rabbi. Maybe he wants people to stand up for him. But he doesn't ha- he's not using the Torah knowledge that he's gaining to attack others, to, to use it as a weapon against another person. Rather, he just he has his own selfish... Um, things that he wants to be a Torah. Maybe he wants reward even. So in that situation, Rabbi Yehuda says a person should always do it. 
If a person does it enough like that, even for his own selfish purposes, he will eventually get to a place where he will do it for the sake of Hashem. And that's really our outlook because we want, I think, and I, I think many times, and maybe that could give us a little bit of a, a, a guide, a guiding light for, for our generation, for us as people that, you know, we talked about fake it till you make it or doing something only that reflects where you are on the inside. So I think it, there's a difference. Maybe if a person is on the correct path, he wants to just become a better person. So to, to do something maybe which is a little bit above him, to do something that maybe he's not necessarily totally confident about or maybe not comfortable in, that's not so far off, you could do it, fake it till you make it. But to do something which is, you know, maybe if a person's living their life in a way that they're just faking it to fake out others and they're not doing it for the correct purposes, so then maybe it's better that a person shouldn't use this method of of trying to fake it till you make it matter they should take things a little slower of seeing that their insides are the same as the outside that's just the thought um i had um you know from the from this tosfos which gives us answers about the two gemaras and maybe hopefully it could give us a little bit of guidance regarding our own lives and how we um serve hashem and we go forward and how do we get to that lishma how do we get there that's um one thought and just another another idea regarding doing things for the sake of Hashem. And I've said this many times is that the things that we're doing anyways, if we just think about it for a moment and we think this thought of I'm doing something because Hashem told me to do it. And we have that in mind. So then that automatically will help us get to that point. And, and I think this is the same idea that we said before that if a person is, you know, using this method of, faking it till he makes it. Again, it's not for other people. It's not to try to fake out other people. It's to try to trick our own Yitzhahara, to try our own evil inclination to help us to grow. So when we're using it as a mechanism to grow and to be better people, so then it's acceptable. It's good. But to use it just to, to fake others out, to, to, to make other people believe that we're in a different spot than we really are, so then it's not such a desirable thing to do. And if we just have in mind for the things that we do already, that we're doing it because Hashem said, and then we just keep going with it. We just say it to ourselves. So the act of actually saying it to ourselves will, will actually help us internalize what we're doing to make ourselves, to get ourselves on this path of lishma, of doing things for Hashem's sake, God willing. Now, I wanted to finish up the Mishnah quickly that the Mishnah said, whoever, whoever learns Torah lishma, lishma, he, whoever engages in, in Torah study for its own merit, for its own sake, merits many things. Now, a person who learns Torah Lishma, that I saw Rebruvain Feinstein brings down that when a person learns Lishma, he becomes into a, it goes right into him, as we mentioned before. It becomes part of him. And when a person, when the Torah becomes part of a person, it's nothing can knock him over. Nothing can knock her over. Because he's solidified. He has, like, he has it. He's it. He, th there's, there's, he's, you know, when, you know, there's a, there's a certain attitude a person has when they know it's like when you're right and you know 100% you're right and nobody could tell you otherwise. There's a certain feeling that a person has. So when a person learns Torah Lishma, when we get to that level, so then no matter what challenges a person has in life, um, 
nothing can knock him over because he has that, he's solidified. And maybe the example that we can use to help us understand this or this feeling is that if a person is financially secure, right? Whatever that means, he has, you know, he has an income, he has a house and he has savings. So now even if expenses come up, his car dies, his, he has to replace his boiler. Um, these things don't find it, you know, it's, it's an expense. It costs money, but they don't knock him off his whole life. It doesn't make him out of whack, right? A person who's living from paycheck to paycheck and these things happen to them, they can really totally turn their whole life upside down. It can put them into a hole, which they'll have an extremely hard time getting out of. So I feel like when a person is learning Torah Lishman, they get to this place where they, they're, they're, they're stable. They have this foundation that no matter what happens, challenges in life can happen, you know, anything per personal, whatever it is, things in the world, he still, she still feels secure, stable because they have it. They have it. It's in them. They feel very calm. They know that Hashem is with them. They have, they feel connected to Hashem, to the Torah, to the Jewish people, and so on and so forth. So that's just an important idea that listens that a person, one of the benefits of learning Lishma, of learning and doing mitzvot and on and, and a higher level of doing it Lishma for its own sake is that we have this security. And safety, and this is really comes into really ties into another concept of bitachon, of having trust in Hashem. Because when a person trusts in Hashem, he has no worries in the world. And it sort of reminds me of a, of a story I had recently. I had this interaction with someone at a store, and it came up a discussion. I was telling him to come to Shul, and I was getting different reasons. So he was telling me, you know, he's not religious. I said, you don't have to be religious to come to Shul. And I said. So he said, I'm, well, really, I'm, I'm an agnostic. I said, you could be an agnostic and come to Shul too. He was a Jewish man. I said, come to Shul. So we got into a little bit of a conversation. And I told him after he was, he was telling me about the Big Bang and, and how that's what he believed or that's what he thinks he believes, that, that when a person believes in the Big, Big Bang, they're left with a question. Because if you say gas has created the world, who created the gases? You're left with questions. But if a person believes in Hashem, they're not left with any questions. And they don't need the answer to every single question as well because you know there's Hashem. And we realize that not everything we're going to understand. So it just reminds me of that this story that when a person gets to this point where they have the Torah, they have the mitzvos, and especially if they're doing it for its own sake, you're able to have that sense of security. You don't have the questions. You don't have the, the doubts. You believe in yourself. You believe in Hashem. And that's a certain benefit that a person has. And just two ideas I wanted to end with is that we said, and number one is when a person learns Torah Lishma for no other purposes, just for learning the Torah, all these benefits that we list in the Mishnah come to him. So the, the one lesson I, I wanted to take out of this is that when we, we have to realize that when we do the correct thing, we do the right thing, we never lose out. And it's when it comes to Hash, service of Hashem, avodah Hashem, to doing mitzvahs and learning Torah, many times we think we're going to learn out, lose out if we do this mitzvah. We're going to lose out if we learn this Torah. We're going to be missing out. We're going to have FOMO. We have to know and that when it comes to doing the right thing, for the sake of doing the right thing, you never lose. Never. And there's a, one quick story I wanted to share with you that I heard recently. Um, somebody I know does fundraising for a major organization, a, a, a major Jewish organization. It's a national organization. 
And he, he told us a story recently that he went to meet somebody who is a donor. And this guy is a major nursing home owner. And he said to him that the nursing home owner told him a story. And it seems like he's one of the major nursing home owners in the United States. And he said that when he started off, he was working in this little nursing home as an administrator. I mean, he's just running the nursing home. And he had the opportunity to, to buy a nursing home. But the thing is that he, the, the person, he just, the opportunity that was presented to him was presented in a way that if he would have bought the nursing home, he would have been sort of undercutting someone else. And he felt that was the incorrect thing for him to do. Even though he had the opportunity and he had the, the person who was selling in the, bu the building offered to lend them the money to buy the nursing home. It was right there in front of him, this golden opportunity, as he thought. He turned it away. And what came out from that is he had to move to another place, to a different city. And because he didn't have a job anymore and he moved to this other city. And then within a few months, he found an, he had an opportunity to buy a nursing home. And then five months later, he owned 10 nursing homes. And a year or two later, he owned even many, many more nursing homes. And the point was that if he would have taken that first opportunity that was presented to him, that maybe wasn't 100% kosher, right? That maybe was slighting someone else. He never would have became who he became. It was only because he did the right things. So how many times are we presented with a situation where we think, ah, it's, I don't, you know, it's, it's okay. It's not against the law. It's not against halacha. So what's the big deal? It just maybe doesn't smell right. So the point is that if we, we need to realize that when we do the correct thing, we follow the Torah, we, follow, we have good midos, we never lose out, and Hashem will always pay us back properly. And this is something we should always keep in mind throughout life. So that's going to finish for today's Mishnah. I hope you all enjoyed. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at rabbishlomokon with a K at gmail.com. Have a great day.